Well, good morning and welcome everybody to Encounter. Hey, I want to begin right here. This is our uh, the fall launch card. We have one week remaining to fall launch and the grand opening. And I'm so incredibly excited, so pumped about this. Literally, guys, I think over a thousand of these have been passed out at local colleges and universities. Uh, also classrooms from teachers all across West Michigan. It's just super exciting to see everybody bring this invitation. My son brought a stack of these in for his class. and. Uh, and gave them to all the kids in his classroom and then asked his teacher to put them in the teacher's lounge so that they knew that they also were invited to fall launch at his church. It's so cool, so cool to see everybody do everything they can to bring people far from God to new life in Christ. You can get a stack of those at the starting point desk at Fulton Heights and here at Kentwood. All right, listen, guys, um, we're in a series right now, uh, just finishing it up today, and it's called You're Doing It Wrong. And for those of you who are brand new to encounter what this series is about is is simply an acknowledgement that sometimes when we pray and it doesn't feel like our prayers are getting through the ceiling let alone entering the throne room of heaven god resides it's possibly because there's part of us that's like doing it doing it wrong which is why jesus sat his disciples down and i think also all of us and said listen this is when you pray this is how you should pray and he started off saying things like our father right because god isn't somebody to perform for God is somebody to relate with. He's, he's a father. Jesus said, give us today daily bread. Instead of a give me prayer we heard last week, it's bread and just for today. Instead of a give me prayer, we, we swap that out for a surrendering kind of prayer. And today we're talking, today we're talking about these, these stain-removing kinds of prayers. Now I just have to, have to give you a little, bit of, a little bit of history, my history, with this product, stain remover, fabric, carpet cleaner. A little while ago, my wife and I, we bought what is described as the worst couch in the world. Now I'm telling you, it's not just a bad couch because to call it a bad couch would be offensive to bad couches everywhere. This was, in fact, the worst couch. We bought it online, which is probably a mistake. I recognize that, but the price was right. Anyway, cost has a lot of forms. I sat in this couch, and for a while, I thought that I was developing chronic back pain in my 30s, like this is happening now. It turns out it was, it was just the couch. This thing was so, like, rickety and, and, and wobbly. We, we'd, like, put books underneath it when guests would come over because we thought, this thing is inevitably going to fail, and when it does, we want something to catch our friends. Otherwise, they might not be our friends for very long. It's the worst couch. My kids would push the cushions off the couch. They would prefer to sit directly on the wood frame when they watch cartoons in the morning rather than sit on the terrible cushions. I'm not exaggerating when I say this couch is the worst. Okay, we didn't replace it though because said kids also like to eat ice cream and bowls of cereal and drink red fruit punch on the couch. And so as they're staining the couch, I have this like internal timer that's like, I'm not going to replace the couch until these kids can go like six months without staining whatever thing that they're on. And every time they like spill the juice, hey, listen, I don't want to be the couch police. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to worry about wrecking nice things. So I'm just not going to have nice things. They spill the, the fruit punch and my internal clock just kind of starts over again. All right, yeah. Another six more months of uh, bad couches. <laughs> that's, what we're, that's what we're doing now. The day finally arrived when they like, had this thing figured out. I think they wanted a new couch too. 
They figured out how not to spill on. And so we end up, we got new carpet, we got a new couch. I mean, it is like, oh, it's happening. And then COVID hit. And like many of you, we also got ourselves a furry pet. Except for most people kind of zig, and, and we zagged where most people zig. So instead of getting like, like a kitten or a cute, adorable little puppy, we got a rabbit. <laughs> we got like a free-range roam-around-the-house bunny. And this is, this is one-year-old Blitz sitting on the couch that she's technically not supposed to sit on. I learned about bunnies. I learned about rabbits. I learned that they can leave somewhere around. They can drop somewhere around a hundred gifts behind them to mark their territory. I also learned that my entire house is their territory. <laughs> I have become more familiar with the instructions of my carpet cleaner and stain remover than I ever thought I would be comfortable with being. Step number one, spray to the applied area, <laughs> affected area. Step uh, number two, wait five minutes. Step number three, use soft, color fast, absorbent fabric to clean up affected area. Repeat as necessary. Emphasis on that last step, repeat as necessary. I think you guys know about, about stains as well. And using this as an image to get us into the real fact of why God has called us here is that we also know about stains on our lives. Not just the carpet, not just the couch, stains on our hearts. I think we know about stains that don't just ruin the carpet, they ruin our hearts, they ruin our lives. Some are soft and barely noticeable. Others have a way of seeping into our whole lives. Why do we do that? Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we hurt the ones that are closest to us? Why do we try to cover up things that we know can't stay covered for very long? Just checking in. How's the special project that I gave you earlier this month? Are you almost finished? Yes. Almost started. <laughs> Why do I do that? God, would you, would, you take, would you take away that lie? Take away that sin? I was worried sick about you last night. I couldn't sleep. Help me to sleep. Tell me, where have you been? Uh, do you want me to tell you where I have been, or do you want to be able to sleep at night? These things are mutually exclusive. God, why do I make the decisions that I do that hurt people around me? Remove that stain. Take that from me. Forgive me. I think... Um, for me, like as a, as a dad, I think it's like the, the worst moments are the ones that I, I recognize that, that I lost my temper or I recognize that because of some scheduling problem that I should have been able to foresee and I couldn't follow through on one of the promises that I made to one of them. And I go to God again and again, God, why do I the things that I do. God, would you blot that out? Would you forgive me? Would you get rid of that? Would you remove that stain on my life? 
What I want to tell you this morning is two things. First, I, I want to tell you, I want to tell you that when you go to God and when you ask for forgiveness, no matter what or who it is, listen, God always forgives. He always offers that, no matter what. But I also want to tell you, that's not all he is. That's not all he has for you. If that's all there is, we have missed what it means to follow after Jesus. I want to tell you this morning that it's, it's not fair to God because he's so much more. And it's not fair to you because as long as we limit God to just this like, forgive me when I step off the path, remove the stains from my life. As long as God is limited to just that, we miss meaning, we miss purpose, we miss fulfillment in this world. We miss God's design for our lives when we pray only stain-removing prayers. So this is what I like to do. We'd like to hear what Jesus has in for store for us. Instead of stain-removing prayers, he's going to teach us a different way to pray. He's going to teach us a better way to communicate, a better way to relate with God. We're going to go to the book of Matthew. And continuing on, as we learn how best to pray, by looking at how Jesus taught us to pray in Matthew chapter 6, starting off in verse 9, and he says, Jesus says, okay, you've heard how not to pray. This then is how you should pray. And some of us would call this the Lord's Prayer. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We call these performance prayers when we try to perform to God instead of relating with God as our Father. He's infinite and he's also intimate. He's, also, he's beyond comprehension. He's also right there beside us. Continuing on, Jesus saying, praying, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, just bread, just for today. That's the, the, the gimme prayer instead of, instead of your kingdom, your will, not my will. Replacing that with a surrender prayer. In verse 12, one of our two verses for this morning, Jesus continues and he goes, oh, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's just, let's just like get on the same page here on something. When Jesus is talking about forgiving us our debts, he is not talking about some mass student loan forgiveness program. This is not Jesus' angle. In fact, one of Jesus' favorite euphemisms for talking about sin, the ways that we fail in our spiritual lives, is by relating it to a financial debt. He does this on the cross, and he says, it is finished. It's an accounting term. The debt has been paid up. Jesus, here, forgive us our, forgive us our debts. It's like for Jesus, when, when we fail to live up to the expectation, it digs us into this hole of being indebted or obligated to God because we fail to live into the design or the image that God has, has made for us. See, in the beginning, God created all this stuff, and he created humankind, and created us to be the, the image bearers. Some of us, we, we know that language from Genesis chapter 1. It's like when people looked at us as human beings, especially looked at us as Jesus followers, the design is like they were supposed to see God clearly in us. I don't know about you guys, but I'm not 100% certain that every time somebody looks on me, they like immediately see God. I think I have probably failed to live up to that expectation. And when a, a product or a service fails to live up 
to expectation, it, don't, don't you kind of feel like it let you down, like it owes you something? Like you buy a new phone, you open it up, it isn't long before you quickly realize connectivity errors, network error. I, I can't get online. Like, like it, it doesn't work like it should. And, and you kind of feel like somebody owes you something. These are the, the, the debts that Jesus talks about. And, and we know that he's talking about more than just this stain-removing kind of thing because that next line, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For those of you, for those of us, who say that we are following Jesus, that we are believers, that wear that label as Christians, I think these are the most terrifying words in the entire Bible. God, forgive us as we forgive others. That's not how carpet cleaner works. <laughs> That's not how stain removers work. First you go clean off the carpet, and then this thing is going to work on your couch. No, no, no. That's not how stain remover works. That's not how God works either. Listen, this... This forgiving thing is an entire message for another time. We can skip to the ending and we kind of like see God's point and God's design in this of saying, listen, when you stay focused on all of the work that God has yet to complete in me, I'm a little less concerned with the work he has yet to complete in you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those Debts that we're gripping onto and holding onto. It's a little easier to let go when we look at all the, all the things that we ourselves are, are carrying. In the next line, Jesus gets to, gets to the stain remover and he says, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you're like an underlining person or your Bible app, like a highlighting kind of person, lead us, deliver us. Those things, those things are related. Fascinating to me, when Jesus is talking about this concept of forgiveness and temptation and some of the destruction that follows, the language that he uses is leading language and following language. Lead us away from the temptation. Jesus, lead us towards something else. I don't know, anything else, something that's not going not gonna to harm me. It's language around leading and following. This isn't always the language that I'm used to hearing about what it means to be a Christian. Sometimes the language that we use about being a Christian isn't leading and following language. It's believing or not believing language. Follow along. Um, that makes sense. I get that. Probably the most well-known passage in the Bible is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he, he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes, right? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It, it's believing language. That's important. What's missed is that that saying wasn't only a cross-stitch pattern on your grandmother's den wall is that that line came in the midst of a conversation that came with this religious leader, Nicodemus, sneaking off to interview Jesus at night, hear what he's about, 
And Jesus is like telling him, guy, this is huge. What I came for is a massive paradigm shift. It's, it's not just believing or not believing a couple of truths. What this is, is and Jesus talks about it like, like it's a whole new life. It's like, it's like being born again, like being born new. It's new like everything. And if you believe, and the word that he uses is a preposition, believe into, if you trust him, if you're willing to put your life in his hands, surrender up the, the car keys of your life over to his wisdom and leadership, like that, that's where life comes from. That's where eternal life comes from. That's the, the paradigm shift that, that Jesus brought. It's, it's more than just intellectual assent to a few ideas. James, James writes, like, even the, even the demons believe that and shudder. Jesus brought this paradigm shift. It's more than just believing. It's following. It's living and loving like Jesus lived and loved. It's believing, but it's also behaving. And somewhere along the line, we've fallen back towards, I just, I, I, just, I just have to believe a couple of things. I just have to believe a couple of things, and then I'm good. You know? I, I, I just have to, when I die, when I meet God someday, I just have to believe a couple of things, and then he's going to spray my sin and blot it out, and I can go to heaven forever. As long as I believe a few of these things, like, listen, I can do whatever I want to do on Saturday night. Sin now and ask for forgiveness later. As long as I believe a couple of these things, I don't need to pray all the time. God's going to take care of that. As long as I'm down with a few of these, these intellectual ideas, I don't need to forgive, especially not those who hurt me. I mean, God's going to overlook that. He knows what I've been through. I don't need to give sacrificially. Are you kidding me? God will blot that one out a little bit later. I don't, I don't need to change in any way, especially not those behaviors or patterns that I'm caught up into. I don't need to quit whatever the thing is that followed in your mind after the pause when I said quit. I don't need to stop that thing. We can move in together and give this marriage like a, like a trial run even, even beforehand, right? I mean, God understands. He'll, he'll blot out like whatever I did wrong. We'll just apply, apply the forgiveness to the affected area, wait, repeat as necessary. And listen, he, he will forgive you. I believe that. He will forgive you every single time. But the word that comes after leading and following, lead me not into temptation, but deliver. Deliver literally translates this to rescue. He's going to forgive you, but there's going to be damage that happens along the way. And it's like God in his wisdom, he knows, I'll forgive you. But it's still going to hurt. The things that you got caught up into, you'll still feel it. And I want to save you in eternity, yes. But I also want to save you from you. He wants to save me from me. So lead me away from me. Lead me away from temptation because, because temptation, the way Jesus teaches about this temptation, whatever it is that you're tempted with, you can like think about that thing right now that leads you away from God. This temptation, the way Jesus talks about it, it's like it's an, it's like an appetite. And the thing about appetites is that appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. 
appetites always leave us longing for more, wanting more. You, you guys know, uh, you guys know like Thanksgiving is coming up, right? It's a little chilly out last weekend, earlier on. It's weather is turning. Thanksgiving is, 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 is happening and you're going to do the thing where you gather around, maybe a few others, maybe more. And you gather around a table and there's turkey and there's stuffing. And for me, there's just more stuffing. And then there's, and there's like pie afterwards. There's, there's mashed potatoes. There's the cranberry sauce that I still have yet to figure out like what its point is. But it's colorful and, it, and it's on the table. I mean, we'll give it that. Right? And Thanksgiving happens. And if you're like me, just stuffing myself like too much. I recognize every year it's just too much. And then I sit there. This is a graphic picture, but I will have to, like, open up my belt. I won't do it today, but Thanksgiving happens, and you open up your belt, and you're just like, maybe the first button if you need to, and you're just like, oh. And I tell myself every year, I am never going to be hungry again. And you know what happens. Three hours, mm, two hours later, <laughs> I've got my nose in the refrigerator, looking for leftovers, hoping for just a little more. Appetites are never fully and finally satisfied. And food isn't the only thing that we have an appetite for. We have an appetite for sex. We have an appetite for success. We have an appetite for stuff. We have an appetite for relationships. We have an appetite for recognition. We have an appetite for praise. And there is no amount of kisses, of awards, of iPhones, of shoes, of cars, of careers that are going to leave you fully and finally satisfied. At the end of the day, you'll just simply have your nose in the refrigerator asking, what else is there? And Jesus describes this kind of thing. The way that he describes it is asking God to deliver us from that. Because Jesus knows where that is. Deliver us. Rescue us. Rescue us from that destruction. Rescue us from me. Rescue us from another word that he uses. When that is allowed, when I am allowed to, to feed and to try to nurse those appetites on for infinity, on into eternity. And Jesus is like, that looks a lot like the definition of hell. So lead me away from me. Lead me away from temptation. Lead me away from those appetites that are never fully and finally satisfied. Have something else in store for me. Why? Encouragement, the challenge for us, rule your appetites, or your appetites will rule you. Lead me away from me. Lead me away from temptation. Lead me away from destruction. Lead me away from disaster. Lead me away from hell, either in the next life, or starting in this one, deliver me, rescue me, from me. If we would do this, if, if, we, would, if we would pray this way, as Jesus taught us to pray, 
Like instead of just relying on the forgiveness, and, and, and he'll forgive us, but, but it still might hurt when we experience the fallout of that temptation of giving in. If we were to pray, honestly, God, lead me away from temptation, lead me away from me, what you could expect to find is that you, is that me, I tend to start to shrink. Listen, we started off this time together and we said that the stain-removing kind of God, he will remove stains, but that's not all he does. It, it, it makes him far too small. Those insidious games we play with God, I'll just sin now and I'll get forgiveness later, it, it puts him into a box that makes him puny, it makes him small, it makes him easily manipulated. That God doesn't exist, fortunately. But the God that is able to lead us that we follow in his footsteps. That God is going to lead us away from ourselves. He's going to follow it up with this meaning and this purpose and this deep fulfillment. Think about some of the people in your life. Or think about some of the people in history that you've heard of. That have just found this deep meaning. That have found this purpose in life. Like you, you've heard of some of them. Like, like Mother Teresa going to the poorest of the poor in, in Calcutta, India the world with little more than how she came into this world besides just a crutch that she acquired along the way dedicating her life to the service of others like meaning is found not in holding on to our life but by pouring it out the disciples found this deep meaning purpose fulfillment not in holding on to their lives but surrendering it up jesus Shows us purpose, shows us meaning, shows us fulfillment, not in holding on to his life, but offering it as a ransom for many. When we pray, lead me not into temptation, we pray for God to lead us into a life that makes us smaller. If you are the point of your life's journey, it is a very remarkably short trip. Meaning is a means to an end. And when you get to your life's end, I hope that you'll have more to show for yourself than just yourself. That's why Jesus wasn't content with just believing, just fulfilling forgiving. Jesus wanted us to follow him. Eventually, eventually if we say we just believe, our, our behavior will betray what we, actually, what we actually believe. This is a dated reference now, but 20 years ago, classic movie, A Knight's Tale, 2001, Heath Ledger, come on, somebody, a couple people. Many of you are not willing to admit that, and I understand it, I didn't want to admit it either. Great movie. Great movie. For those of you who genuinely are unfamiliar with this, uh, it, it takes place, and uh, this, this guy, this poor kid, is serving a master. Uh, his master dies, and so the character played by Heath puts on his, his master's armor and pretends to be a knight. And that works because he looks the part, especially if you remember, like Heath Ledger, right? He looked the part. 
But then they put him in the jousting arena, two guys on a horse, like racing after each other with these long poles, and the idea is to knock the other guy off his horse first. It probably takes some skill that's acquired through years and years, potentially decades of practice. This kid gets up on this horse with his brand new suit of armor, races out, and gets obliterated. I mean, it, it's rough to see. Even though you know it's fake, you're like, that probably still hurt. There's this line in a movie where this older character looks down at him and says, you have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting, which is actually a reference to the book of Daniel. You've been weighed, you've been measured, and you've been found wanting. Your behavior betrayed your beliefs. If this is all God is to you, eventually you'll realize you're not actually doing what Jesus said to do, which is to deny yourself, take up your cross, and to follow him. Your behavior will betray your beliefs. It's impossible to say that you believe in God, that you believe that Jesus was who he says he was, the eternally begotten Son of God, the divine Son of God, who reconciled all things to himself. Through him, everything was created. Nothing was created apart from him. To believe that and then not to surrender and then not to follow after him, our behavior will eventually betray our beliefs. We live for ourselves, we'll become small. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus and we start to pick up his vision, his purpose, his mission, his deep fulfillment, and the ineffable joy that comes along with that beautiful picture. I want to wrap up on this, this line from C.S. Lewis. It's so beautiful. It shows us the journey that's ahead. If only we could get over ourselves, surrender to him, follow him. Lewis writes, we are a half-hearted creature fooling around with our appetites, fooling around with temptations, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We settle for far too little. When we could pray, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from a small life that's just me. Give me that joy of picking up the purpose of Jesus. Let's go to God. Let's pray to him that way right now. I invite you to stand up as we pray together. God, we, we come to you and, and we ask you, Spirit, to not allow us to settle for a small life to not allow us to spend the next 10, 20, 50 years that you've given us chasing after ourselves and chasing after our appetites, chasing after those temptations that ultimately will never leave us fully and finally satisfied. Lead us out of that life. Break us out of that life by your grace. Show us what you have in store. Help us not to settle for a stain-removing God who doesn't even exist. Help us to follow you 
the God of the universe. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.